Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt podcast. We are Sarah and Jessica, your little flirts. <laughs> uh, welcome, everybody. We have the best theme music ever, and we love to listen to it before we get started. And we would love to shout out Tristan and Sage for writing our theme music. They're on TikTok at Original Sinfluencer. So check them out. They're amazing. And they can write a jingle for you, too, if you want. They're the best. So, Do you want to tell everyone what the episode is about today, Jessica? Yes, but I actually don't quite know exactly what it's about because I asked Sarah to give me an overview before we started and she said no. So I think <laughs> it's about creationism. Is this correct? Yes, it is about okay. creationism, evolution, and all the theories in between. It's a really small subject. Uh, I hope we can get through an hour. I don't know. We could have done like 400 <laughs> different podcasts just on different aspects of all all of the theories and all of the views within Christianity. So it's going to be something that I've really tried hard to synthesize and make it as user-friendly as possible and just not to be too long. So, so like a nice, good overview. An overview, and maybe one day we'll go a little bit deeper into each of the different theories and some of the philosophers, scientists, and other people that we're going to be discussing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like, I like a good overview. Personally, I know of some people that listen to our podcast that didn't grow up Christian. And so sometimes when we get into subjects that are like super duper Christian oriented, they get a little lost like me. So I like a good overview because I don't really know all of this stuff like like you do or like people that grew up with the church their whole lives do. Yeah. And it was it was fun and also mentally exhausting preparing for this episode because I progressed through pretty much each of these views at a certain point in my life. So before we get into it, I want to know what was your view that you were taught growing up about where the world came from and what's your current view? Super interesting question. Something that I actually like I I was thinking about it this week because I knew that we were at least touching on creationism and I'm like, okay, what was I taught growing up? So my parents, I don't think, taught me one way or the other. So then I know that when we worked at Christian camp, I remember reading the Bible. And obviously, Genesis 1 would have the creation story in it. And I, I really, like, racked my brain to try to remember, like, did people actually believe this? And I think people did. But the thing is, I don't think anyone was like, oh, but the Earth is 6,000 years old. In my, in my experience, like, they were like, dinosaurs are real. <laughs> And some people even said, like, Genesis is actually a metaphor. So there was some of that, too. And then I remember when we were in 12th grade, I learned about evolution. And I was like, yeah, that sounds 100% correct. So that's my long-winded answer about what I know. Awesome. So I guess I thought I would share (laughs) a little bit about, like, when I was growing up, my views on this topic, what I was taught in church. And I I think I was similar to you where there were some people that would have believed it was six literal days. But I feel like most people had the view, which which we'll get into, called old earth creationists, where they believe that the six days were periods of time, but not necessarily like a literal day. And so that God could have created the world with the universe being billions of years old and, you know, God started the Big Bang. But evolution was kind of a no-no when I was growing up because the view was that it was problematic because you needed a literal Adam and Eve. And at what point do you draw the line between one species of hominids versus homo sapiens? Yeah. So So I, I can understand the pushback about humans evolving. But I, I guess what I was kind of remembering from learning about evolution in school was more about just like regular animals. Although humans are animals, 
but like just other animals evolving. Right. I didn't think about the human part of it. So yes, the human part of it is where people really get mad. <laughs> yeah, because obviously that has implications if your entire worldview is based on the fact that sin entered into the world via Eve eating an apple and then Jesus came to save everyone. So I mean, if your whole religion is based on that, how do you reconcile that point? And I think sometimes when I was curious about evolution in my later teen years, it was presented as sort of a false dichotomy, like you couldn't believe in evolution and be a Christian, or that was like a super problematic view. And you know, you had to interpret science in light of what the Bible said. And I remember when I was in the UK being really interested in a book by Francis Collins. So Francis Collins, I still love Francis Collins. And if I'm ever talking with a Christian who's wrestling with this issue, I'm like, check out this guy. Have you heard of him? No, I've never heard of him. He was the president of the National Health Institute for many, many years. He was the first person, he was part of the original human genome project. So he was one of the scientists who mapped the first human wow. genome. I should probably and know who this is. He actually became a Christian. He became a Yeah, he became a Christian after he had done med school. And he he's a big proponent. He has an organization called BioLogos. Okay. And he's a big proponent of what is called theistic evolution or creationary evolution. So that God used evolution as a process to create humans. And so he is, I mean, he was world, he's debated all kinds of atheists. He was really good friends with the late Christopher Hitchens, who was like a super, super influential atheist. And he's, mm -hmm. he's a pretty cool guy, just like the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> just like the Holy Spirit. So no, he, I really wanted to read his book that was like in the office of my pastor at the time. And he's like, you're not allowed to because your faith isn't strong enough. Oh, when you were in the UK. I remember you telling me this. You know what I went and did then? What? I went and read a bunch of other books that weren't by Christians. So like <laughs> he had an opportunity to be like, here, you can read a Christian view. But he said, no, your faith isn't strong enough. So obviously me being me, I was like, well fuck you, I'm going to go and read about evolution anyway. That's super interesting because he had the opportunity to be like, okay, well, maybe Sarah is just going to have this theistic evolutionary view. And he could have kept you in Christianity. He could have saved one more soul. But instead, yeah, nope, you're going to hell like the rest of us. So I, I'm a big fan of Francis Collins because I think what he has done for Christian scientists is huge. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, scientists practicing with the scientific method that happened to be Christian because I think there are a lot of people that leave Christianity because of that false dichotomy. But, you know, I left Christianity for a wide variety of reasons. And obviously, science and evolution played into part of that. But I, I'm like you, and I think that there are absolutely tons of Christians that believe in evolution and that you can have both. Yeah. I don't think science speaks to if there's a creator or not. I think those are more philosophical, faith-based questions, really, that people can kind of draw their own conclusions on. So. Well, you wouldn't know it in our TikTok comments because apparently everyone says that science can literally prove the existence of God. And I have yet to have anyone explain to me what the fuck they're talking about. So that's what we're going to get into. <laughs> oh, great. So I read a really good book for this. So it was put out by Zundervan. They're like a big Bible publishing company. Okay. And so it's called Four Views on Creation, Evolution, and Intelligent Design. And it came out in 2017. There was an original one that came out in 1999, but they did an updated version. And it's super interesting because they have all four theories listed. And then they give each author that holds one position the opportunity to argue and provide counterpoints. And then they give the, the original author the right to respond to the counterpoints. So it's super holistic. Oh, wow. So this particular book is not the one that infuriated you? Um, parts of it. Not not all of it. I just had, like, some of it was just very frustrating to read through. Mostly the young earth creationist stuff. Okay. I'm excited to learn about this. There's a lot of um, terminology that I don't, like, young earth creationism, I don't know what. I, I want to know, like, really what these things mean. I'm excited. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to show you a short video that explains the four views that are presented in this book. So this is called Know the Word, Live the Word, and it's the three-minute series. It's going to be presenting the four different views in the book because, like, the book's so long. This kind of gives a concise view, and then we can get into each of them, and people will understand a little bit more of the terminology. I sincerely wish every single book had a concise view and a three-minute video for me to watch so that I didn't have to read every fucking word of a book. So I appreciate yeah. it. 
But I really like this book because I think it's so important to have information out there for any any sort of viewpoint, any sort of religion for people to be able to consider all angles in a respectful and thorough way. So let's get into it. You ready? Yeah. When it comes to understanding the biblical story of creation, Christian scholars are far from consensus. There are many competing views and then subviews among those. The question is, are all of those ideas compatible with the Bible? First, what are the main competing views? Young Earth creation, progressive creation, intelligent design, and evolutionary creation. The Young Earth perspective interprets Genesis 1 in the most literal sense, emphasizing that the Hebrew word yom should be interpreted as a 24-hour period, meaning that all of creation took place in six literal days. Progressive creationists say, yes, the Hebrew word yom is translated as a literal day, most frequently in the Bible, but is also accurately translated often as time, age, etc. And a 24-hour period results from a solar process, and the sun wasn't even created till day four. Both young earth and progressive creation share a common understanding that the book of Genesis is actual history, not allegory, and both believe the order of the Genesis creation is correct. Intelligent design doesn't take a position on whether or not Genesis is history. They emphasize scientific discovery. Like progressive creation, they agree the earth is much older, but they often disagree with the biblical order of creation, arguing that the Genesis account doesn't have to be in day order. They believe when God spoke, he caused the Big Bang, and that the fine-tuning of the universe clearly demonstrates the involvement of a creator. The evolutionary creationists agree with intelligent design that God spoke and caused the Big Bang, which brought forth the universe. But they recognize evolutionary processes as the means in which God created. They don't believe that all humans started with one mother and father, as Genesis indicates. Though science will continue to reveal incredible proofs of God's creation, we must not forget that science's perspective has changed immensely in the past 150 years. And we'd be a bit naive to expect that we've completely uncovered the scientific manner in which God created. Regardless of which interpretation you are coming from, what's most important is that you recognize you were made in God's image and he is calling you to know him better through his word and to give your life entirely to him. So obviously this guy has a view that does not align with evolutionary creationists. So what was so he was talking about his view. I got a little lost there. What? Yeah, yeah. So he was. I mean, he was just saying that the problem that we mentioned before about how Adam and Eve needed to be literal people for there to be sin entering into the world, and then having a need for Jesus to be the sacrifice to bring all people who accept him to heaven with God. Okay. So he's like, that's what's up. Yeah. So he, I think he would probably. He doesn't say his specifically his view, but that guy probably was not someone that believes in evolution. So this book, I'm going to kind of use the terms and elaborate a bit on each of them. So the book that I'm talking about had four different individuals with various backgrounds that presented their views. Were their views each of the views that that guy in the video just talked about? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the first view that he had mentioned in the video was young earth creationism. Yes. And this is presented by Ken Ham. Oh, okay. I've only heard of Ken Ham because he's the guy that you were texting me about all week being like, this guy, (laughs) (laughs) this guy's the worst. So what I'm assuming is young earth creationism is on one side of the spectrum and evolution, scientific evolution is on the other side of the spectrum. So young earth creationism, I'm assuming, yeah, is definitely the more extreme view and Ken Ham is probably going to make me very angry. So I'm going to try to be as nice as possible. So here is a Ken Ham quote. Okay. Oh, God. So I'll get you to read that. No apparent perceived or claimed evidence in any field, including history and chronology, can be valid if it contradicts the scriptural record. So the thing that is unique about Ken Ham is that anything, like he he doesn't give a fuck. Like anything that contradicts <laughs> Genesis, he's like, no, it's wrong. Fake news. What a what an interesting life he lives. Yeah. It, like I, I wonder, I really am like, what is going on in that brain of yours? Do you want to hear a little bit about his his background? Do I? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he was a high school science teacher in Queensland, Australia, 
and he resigned in 1979 to form a young earth creationist apologetic movement and he moved to the united states and started the institute for creation which has since changed its name to answers in genesis which you've probably heard of that website i think i've used that in the past for other topics that we've looked at i think the nephilim i think i used answers in genesis for that episode Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he also is the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter that are in northern Kentucky. Is that the the Ark Encounter? Is that the exact replica of Noah's Ark? Yes, like the replica. And so I'm going to just show you a quick little video where uh, Bill Nye visits the Ark. Bill Nye? Yeah. So Bill Nye and Cunningham have had have had debates and uh, there's a quick little clip here where Bill Nye visits the Ark and the Creation Museum and he's there with Kenham. Are have they been respectful debates? Yeah, oh yeah, they're definitely respectful debates. And some atheists say I don't even want to bother debating creationists. But honestly, this might be the only time when someone would hear about evolution <laughs> yeah. and someone would hear about the science. <laughs> That's true. I'm all for people taking their time because you know what? People don't know what they don't know. And those that are super biased are going to stay that way. But there's always people that are open-minded and you never know who might change their views based on the science. So here is Bill Nye visiting the Creation Museum. Would you allow someone to teach the possibility that God created them in the public schools? No, not in science class. Mm -hmm. In religion class, is history class, philosophy class but that's not science but you said your belief was everything happened by natural processes and they're teaching that religion in the science class well you're calling it a religion yeah it is calling it the process of science no no but it is a religion so you can teach it's a belief teach your worldview in a different class but not in science class you must admit (laughs) these are quite exquisite exhibits right they're very troubling yeah but they're beautifully done aren't they i guess I mean, I think Bill and I is quite nice to him. Yeah, he's not bad. So Ken Ham is a young earth creationist. And so I want to I wanna look at the exact rates of what which Americans believe what. So a 2017 Gallup creationism survey found that 38% of adults in the United States held the view that God created humans in their present form at one time within the last 10,000 years. So that's that's a very, very large percentage of Americans. And that's a little a little troubling for me because I don't think every single view presented in the book is is super troubling and necessarily challenges science. But this one is absolutely there's just absolutely no basis. I think that's what's so frustrating about this view. And I can see why you got so frustrated reading this book is that like when I look at the other views, which we will talk about, I can at least be like, oh, right. Sure. If you have a faith in God and you also believe in science you can meld those two things together in whatever way that makes you feel comfortable yeah who am i to say otherwise but when when people and this is something it's like a problem in a lot of facets of life you're literally just changing reality you're trying to tell me that reality isn't real you're telling me that provable science is not real but your random story is real and and my favorite part i'm I'm just like i'm fired the fuck up but my favorite part is when he when bill nye's at the creation museum the people that didn't see the video there's exhibits of animals in noah's ark and there's dinosaurs in there so he believes that dinosaurs roamed the earth four thousand years ago with people with people okay sure and he gets the age of the earth based on the genealogies of like who lived when just adding up all of the time in the <laughs> bible that's where they get the six thousand years from and they think that yeah the earth is be- somewhere between six and ten thousand years old and this is a view that was held for a long time yeah before the scientific method had been discovered before people can know. literally like look at rocks and be like this is what happened with the rocks like <laughs> i i don't want to be mean but like how can i respect this person or anyone who believes in what he says he doesn't have real evidence and if you want to have a faith-based view of things great and well some sometimes the view is that like why you know why does the earth appear to be older they would say well god created adam and eve aged he didn't create them as babies so god created an old earth so it's just like the illusion that it's old and the bible the bible talks about great huge monsters and like the behemoth and different ones that are named in Job and they'll say those are dinosaurs so that's proof I just 
I feel like there is a fundamental, the young earth creationists have a fundamental different view of what science actually is. So at this point, we're not even agreeing on what science means. So how can we have a debate when my view of what science literally is, is not the same as what your view of science literally is? No. There's no way to have a debate when you can't agree on fundamental definitions of words. I'm so frustrated. And in the book, he talks about the difference between observational science and then what he calls historical science. And he says historical science is based on the history and that, you know, the Bible is a well-maintained manuscript. Yes. Yeah. The Bible manuscripts have been well-maintained. I agree with that. But he, unlike the other three views, takes a very literal approach. Like I think that's what's so frustrating. Genesis 1 is the history book. And if something contradicts it, then we just don't have the answer yet. And so his science, his science, anything that he sees in the world is interpreted based on that starting point that the Bible is literal. If you're like every fucking word in this Bible is absolutely real and you don't question it, like black, white, black, white, black, white, like there's no gray any anywhere. Like how are you even a functioning human being at this point? That's how <laughs> I feel. Like how are you even on YouTube? Like I feel like I'm young, we're young, but I've had enough life experiences that like I can't look at a book and be like every word of that is fucking true. Like I yeah. can't. Oh, it's so frustrating. I'm so frustrated. Okay, now I know what you've been going through. <laughs> like I am fired the fuck up. So that's Ken Ham. Did you expect me to be so fired up? Um, yes, I did. And, I, and like I started with <laughs> Ken Ham because Ken Ham's the first view presented in the book. And then I'm so mad. Our next person. Our next person okay. is a proponent of old earth creationism, which the difference here is that they would believe that, you know, God started the Big Bang and that, that the universe is billions of years old and that the six days in Genesis are not literal, but they are periods of time that God used to create the stars and the planets and then eventually life and then humans. Why is even, like, what even is time, you know? <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> the fourth fourth dimension. <laughs> I just feel like, why is God abiding to our rules of time in the way that humans perceive time? Wouldn't God perceive time in a different way anyway? So, like, maybe that's what the older creationists are thinking. Like, time is meaningless to an omnipotent God. He doesn't, like, he's not like, oh, today's Tuesday. <laughs> like, No, they're like, for God is, like, outside of the realm of time, right? Yes. And so... Okay. For them, they say, like, there's a Bible verse that says, like, for God, a day is a thousand years. So they're like, it's metaphorical. The Hebrew okay. word yom can be a period of time. So that could be. So in the original Hebrew Bible, when he says, like, okay, on this day, God created light on this day. They say yom. Yeah. On this day. Yom. Yeah. That's a day. And that can be described as a period of time, as an epoch or as, like, a literal day. And it's described different, it's used different ways within the Bible. And so the old earth creationists, they look at science, obviously, they they accept what you would call microevolution, that some animals, like things change and adapt over time, but they don't believe that like species go from one species to another. And they would believe that God created human beings like a literal Adam and Eve. So the guy, the guy that's describing his background, and you'll find it interesting because everyone else except Ken Ham is like an actual scientist. <laughs> yeah, so... So when you say actual scientist, what do you mean by that? I'm going to describe... So this is Hugh Ross. He earned a PhD in astronomy from the University of Toronto and research uh, quasar... Quasar... Quasars? Quasars? Kaisers? Kaisers. I don't know. Sure. Kaisers and galaxies at the California Institute of Technology. During college, she became a Christian and decided to study like the scientific and historical accuracy of different books and he found that only the bible passed the test he found it <laughs> okay <laughs> well he founded a uh, organization called reasons to believe in 1986 so it's an apologetics organization that's attempting to demonstrate the truth of christianity by showing the bible to be scientifically accurate he's the president of this organization and so he is our old earth guy. So I'll elaborate on his view a little bit. I find it interesting. He literally studied galaxies and then he became a Christian. That's yeah. interesting. I feel like it's usually the other way around. The nice thing about him is he actually references science. 
to back up his beliefs even if i don't agree with him like some of his beliefs are based on science and he's more interpreting genesis in light of science for something like we are living in the same reality as this guy yes basically we're living on an earth on the earth that's uh, over four billion years old as opposed to four thousand or six thousand or one of the problems for old earth creationists is that so if you look at the garden of eden when adam and eve sinned that's when death is said to have entered into the world but if you look at all the animals that were created from this i'm talking from an old earth creation view if you look at all the animals that came before humans like dinosaurs and species that all died out before humans yeah that's a lot of death to have so what they say is they believe that yes there was some natural death and suffering of animals but that adam and eve when they were created and eve and adam sinned that brought like spiritual and physical death because like humans would be viewed as the only beings with a soul yeah, I love that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we could yeah. we could talk about that another day. But. They view that there are kind of like two books. So there's the Bible and that there's also nature. And that is where we kind of would get our information for how to look at the world from. So they believe that the origin of the universe was the Big Bang and then the creation week was billions of years. But they think, so So God created the Big Bang by speaking. Is that what they say? Yeah. So they believe that God created the Big Bang. Like, let there be light. That was the Big Bang. Yeah. And so they don't actually believe in, like I said, macroevolution. They believe that God created animals, like, at different points. And they think that when scientific evidence is properly interpreted, it's consistent with the Bible. Really? So, okay. Scientific evidence for an old earth. All right. Buckle up. Okay. So different kinds of observational or scientific evidence from astronomy and earth sciences indicate that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. I agree with that. And the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. So the universe is continuously expanding. And so they would say God is continually creating. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you see that the universe is expanding. And obviously when you think about expansion, oh, and everything comes together at a single point. So they would say that when God said, let there be light, that big bright explosion of the Big Bang, that is God describing what happened. They would also agree with most geology and most of the dating. And where there, there are also like throughout evolution, there's like the Cambrian explosion. Like there are certain periods of time where there's like a ton of new species. And they would say that that is God gradually creating okay. species. As opposed to there just being like good conditions on earth for these species to to evolve rapidly and they think that you know humans were created separately they would view all species as descendants of adam like all human species so even neanderthals like homo habilis and they view god as like an engaged creator that again is constantly Involved, So there's just like literally no such thing as evolution to them. It's just that God is constantly like tweaking. Yeah, like there are periods where God has intervened. Some of it's based on science. And then they kind of diverge because they're like humans still have to be special. And Adam and Eve still have to be real people. And they talk about how there's so looking at mitochondrial DNA for the Y chromosome does say that there were two people that all of humanity came from, like all of current human beings. Is that actually true? So in human genetics, mitochondrial Eve is the matrilineal most recent common ancestor of all living humans. In other words, she is defined as the most recent woman from who all humans descended in an unbroken line purely through their mothers. Okay, I take back what I said earlier, how people are always telling me that there's literal scientific proof for God. Not that I believe that God created Eve, but if there is like a legit line going all the way up to the top of the most massive family tree in the world, pointing to one woman, that's actually very interesting. And if you were looking for some sort of creation evidence, like or evidence to stay Christian, but you still wanted to believe in science, I can understand this view. I can understand it. I don't agree with it but i can understand it yeah look at me being nice yeah and i mean it's easier to i find it's it's easier to be more kind to this view because you can see that they're working hard to align the bible with science that's out there they're ignoring some things like they definitely do have points that you can contest and i would say that it's not the best explanation for life in general 
that one of the things that they talk about too is that the original cell like the a biogenesis so a biogenesis do you remember the yuri miller experiment it's a famous chemistry experiment where they put what they thought were kind of the pre-life conditions on earth so in the experiment they used water methane ammonia hydrogen and then they basically like electrocuted it and they saw that amino acids started to form and so amino acids would kind of be like chains of carbon compounds and DNA, we are carbon-based life. So they would say this is like the precursor. But they, we've never been able to come up with, in science, we still don't know how the first cell came to be. And so oftentimes creationists will be like, oh, evolution doesn't explain everything because it doesn't explain the evolution of the first cell. But I mean, if we can trace it all back to one common ancestor, a single celled organism, I'm like, I think that's a good enough for now. Of course, science can't explain everything. That's why we keep looking and we keep testing different theories. And the ones that hold up over yeah, time yeah. are the ones that are most likely to be true, right? It's interesting because you say that, like, you are comfortable with not knowing the whole truth about the creation of life and the creation of the first cell. Whereas I feel like maybe some Christians that have this view, they can't reconcile the fact that, like, it's okay not to know. Like, they have to be like, no, I, in order for them to just, like, actually be comfortable in life, it's like, no, there is a deity that is taking care of us and making sure that it's not just chaos because i think the reality is is that it's just chaos and that's a really scary thought so it is scary like there's a lot of thought that goes into just making sure that things aren't just chaos like there's a lot of justification absolutely and so that kind of sums up old earth creationism okay. and so i would say the advantages of this position is that they it's not delusional well yeah they don't deny like basic things like how the universe was started you know the age of the earth so they have like, I'm not going to say a leg to stand on. I would say like maybe a, a tiny toe to stand on. But <laughs> but they like, I can see how people can, in conjunction with believing, okay, the Bible is literally like God breathed. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's without error. Like if you believe that the Bible is like the book from which you would interpret the rest of the world and science, I can see how people would get to this conclusion. Because even though I think theistic evolution is a possible position to hold when you are a Christian, I do think it creates some problems if you don't have a literal Adam and Eve and a literal like fall of man and the problem of sin, right? Because that's a whole like that's a whole point with Christianity. Okay. So so interesting. All right. So that's old Earth creation. Okay. And again, Hugh Ross has is a scientist and he can study astronomy because like there's nothing fundamentally about astronomy that he believes different from other people. Just that it was God that created it. So he is a scientist that does science, and he is a respectable man. Like I'm sure that he could present evidence that I'd be like, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think I think it is really interesting. So now we are going to get into our next person. Okay. So number three. What was number three? Intelligent design? No. No. Okay. So what's number three? Number three is theistic evolution or evolutionary creation. So we have Deborah Harsma, PhD, MIT. So she is the person that presents the view of theistic evolution, evolutionary creationism, whatever you want to call it. And she served as the president of Biologos since 2013. And that's the organization that was founded by Francis Collins, that scientist that I mentioned before that has been a big proponent for Christians believing in evolution. And he thinks it's super problematic how there's old earth creationists, young earth creationists trying to teach these views in science classrooms. And he's like, no, come on, everyone. You gotta get gotta get on board and so <laughs> well actually before we continue I, i'm remembering something from the video of uh ken ham where he was like yeah we should be able to teach this in classrooms and then he said that well you can teach science in classrooms or in, uh, evolution in classrooms and that's a religion and he thinks that someone that believes in evolution is a religion yeah which i found very interesting so anyway that was just an aside theistic evolution let's do it so deborah harsma earned a phd in physics from mit in 1997 and taught physics and astronomy for 14 years at Kelvin college she became the president of biologos in 2013 which is the organization founded by francis collins then she continues to provide resources aimed at showing the harmony between evolutionary science and biblical christianity and so All right yeah and I, What's her name again? What's her first her name? Her name is Deborah Harsma. Deborah. Deborah. So I have a. Debbie. I have a video of Deborah talking for a little bit. 
And Deb is my gal because I, again, I am a huge fan of science, Christians <laughs> believing in science. science. And I think that it's super important to have people like this who have a background in science that can like bridge the gap bridge the gap and create resources for people that are interested in this question because not everyone has enough time to go do a PhD yeah. in physics, right? And so this, I think this book is a great way to kind of give people that information. And I mean that, so you'll see that that is going to be in the show notes. If any of you are Christians and it's something you're questioning or you're just purely interested in seeing the views within Christianity, definitely recommend checking out, checking out all the views. But if you're interested in if Faith and science can be reconciled. Deborah Harsma or Francis Collins are very respectable scientists. So I'm going to, it's just loading, and then I'm going to share my screen. Okay. Hello, everyone. I am an astronomer. And in my research, I've studied galaxies, galaxy clusters, and the universe, the curvature of space. Behind me is a poster of one of my favorite galaxy clusters. And each of those yellow blobs that you see is not a star, but an entire galaxy of hundreds of billions of stars. The universe is incredibly vast. And most people, when they encounter this, have a sense of wonder and awe at how amazing the universe is, similar to when you walk outside and look up at the night sky. For me as a Christian, there's another layer to this, a layer of worship, because the Bible teaches the heavens declare the glory of God. The universe didn't just appear um, or arise from an impersonal force, but rather there is a person behind the universe. Scripture goes on when it is teaching of Jesus Christ to, to name him as the creator of all things. So the person that I know and follow as my Lord and Savior is also the creator of this amazing galaxy cluster. And that always fills me with just amazement and worship. For me, doing science does not mean setting aside my faith. I remember as a graduate student wondering if I should be neutral when I go to sit down and analyze data and somehow be objective and apart from my faith. But then I realized, no, it's the very faithfulness of God that allows me to do scientific research. God's faithful governance of all things across time and space gives that regularity that we study in physics and astronomy. Now, there was a time where I felt a, a tension and a conflict between my faith and my science. I grew up in a wonderful Christian family, um, but that did teach that the earth was young and we thought Big Bang was a bad word in opposition to God. But when I looked into this more as an adult and I read uh, biblical scholars, I learned more about what scripture was actually teaching and how God in uh, Genesis was speaking to an ancient culture that believed the earth was flat and they pictured the sky as a solid dome. And God didn't try to correct those misapprehensions and teach them what the world was really like. And instead, God taught them, however you picture the universe, I created each part of it, that God is sovereign over it all, and that he gave humans a special role in the universe. And that's what my takeaway is from Genesis 1 as well. And I would say that science there prompted me to investigate more deeply and come to a richer understanding of scripture. And overall, uh, considering God's word and God's world together, I feel I've come to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, obviously her faith is super important to her. So what do you think of that? I mean, okay, so at the end, I'm sorry, I kind of tuned out because ADHD, but so at the end, she said, God says, however you perceive the universe, I created it, however you perceive it. Well, she said that that, that's her takeaway from Genesis 1. Yeah. No, I like her. I think you're right. Her faith is very important to her. I did like how she said that the fact that she does this research actually brings her closer to God and looking at the universe actually fills her with more faith. That's really interesting. And the fact that she grew up as a young earth creationist. I am curious to see like what her family thought about her becoming a scientist. And the fact that she became a scientist and didn't become an atheist is also very interesting or at least like agnostic. I just don't like see that all the time. No. Like you just don't see it a lot. It's almost like she created this view. Like she's like, I need to figure out how to reconcile my faith with my belief in science and I'm going to just like create a whole theory for it and that's what it seems like at least and I wonder what you think about that and why didn't you go that direction Sarah with your faith why didn't I go that direction I personally didn't go that direction because I think when you look at survival of the fittest natural selection evolution yes I believe evolution happened based on the evidence not just based on some sort of faith I have in evolution because it's not a religion. It's a scientific theory. It's not and a religion. The, evi the evidence has only gotten stronger over time. Yeah. 
And one of the reasons why I think I didn't go with the theistic evolution view is because, so if you look at the laws of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics says that energy in the universe cannot be created or deleted. And so in order for God to intervene and do miracles such as the resurrection, he would be like creating an energy and intervening. So I think the point I got to is that maybe there was some sort of higher being that set everything into motion, but then stepped away. So the point that I got to at the end of my faith was kind of, it's called deism. So it's the view of an impersonal God who is not he, she, they, whatever force it is, is not interacting with humans or actively involved in the affairs they just kind of like started everything and then stepped away yeah and then at that point i was like well why do i even need this creator at all because the problem of having a creator is like oh who who created the creator it, you know it's like a, yeah. a problem of infinite regression yeah and so i think yeah. that was that was my process but i have a really good quote from deborah from the book okay. and i'm i want you to read it debbie it's okay. long, but it's it just kind of it kind of sums up. I th I feel like she's probably annoyed because she has the, all these other views that she's looking at, and she's like, just so you know, like this is not like a real debate in science. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually kind of funny. Yeah, she's like, no, okay. Some Christians worry that evolutionary ideas are a result of worldview bias among scientists, perhaps a result of wishful thinking or driven by unwarranted assumptions. Or they believe that the science isn't settled. A recent survey showed that 49% of white evangelicals believe that scientists are divided on whether or not humans evolved. But that's not the case. Another survey shows that 99% of biologists agree that humans evolved. <laughs> wow. There is a strong scientific consensus on evolution and little debate over the common ancestry of all life. Kind of funny. That's interesting. I like that because I bet yeah. that these white evangelicals, so it said, what, 49%? They probably just don't even know what a scientist is. They're like, <laughs> what's the definition of scientist? Like, we're not agreeing on that. So that's funny. Yeah. And I think that was, that was my, one of my favorite things that she said because she said that pretty early on in her chapter when she gets into things. And most of her chapter is really, she's not really going into a ton of about scripture. She's interpreting scripture in light of natural law because she's like natural law. If God created everything, then of course science is going to be true. And of course, what has been proven by the scientific method over time and is widely accepted by 99% of people is going to be true. For her, the issue is, okay, what do I take away from the Bible in light of that? And obviously she has been able to reconcile that. I think it's just funny because she's writing a chapter in a book about like the the four views and a debate. And she's like, just so you know, it's not a debate. <laughs> yeah. it's, not a, it's not a real debate, people. But yeah. like... It's not a debate among the scientific community. It's not like the no. evolution. It's not the it's a debate among Christians. It's a debate that Christians think that they're having with scientists and scientists are like, this isn't a debate. <laughs> like what we're saying is real. What you're saying is not real. Yeah, we are having debate of what literal reality means to us. And this is the point where I say not all Christians, because obviously yeah, there yeah. are lots of Christians that hold a belief that like God used evolution as a mechanism to create human beings. Oh, yeah. Like, I guess when I say Christians in that case, th this is just the evangelicals that we're talking about, the ones that 49% or whatever are like, I just, ugh, I don't know how to explain my feelings about this because I just, I, I can't, I have to like <laughs> talk and then like work through it because I'm having a lot of thoughts about how I personally, if we're talking about academia, I mean, I personally only go so far in my understanding of like the laws of thermodynamics, like things like that. When you said the second law of thermodynamics, I was like, I am not in that realm. However, I still believe it's real and it's okay that I don't understand it. I think sometimes where a divide comes is that some people like they can't accept that they don't understand something like they can't accept that maybe their intelligence just doesn't stretch that far. And so they're like, oh, no, no, if I can't understand it, it means it's not real. If I actually sat down and took days and days to understand basic physics, maybe I could figure it out. But I don't have the capacity and I don't care enough to do that. And I'm sure a lot of people could be the same way. But right. they're like, I don't want to take the effort to learn. Therefore, I'm going to go with the simplest explanation, which I find just very childlike. Like, this is just what I did as a child to understand the world around me. But since then... I have come to terms with the fact that I'm just not going to understand everything. No. And that's okay. 
And I think there's so there's so much information out there. Human knowledge has progressed so far in multiple fields that it, it would be impossible to be an expert on everything. But some people can't accept that they can't be an expert on everything and they We need just to- need to teach basic scientific literacy and basic how do you have an argument? What is what is the structure of a good argument? Like these are things that they should teach in school to kids. Yeah, where did debate club go? Right. Why is debate club not there anymore? And I mean, people have been fighting to get creationism taught in schools since it since it was banned. Like I think it was banned in like the 60s to be like instead don't teach in science classrooms in the United States and I feel like they do though is that no well intelligent design oh so this is what we're getting into because young earth creationism and old earth creationism they have views on genesis and so intelligent design the fourth theory examined in this book has no particular view on Genesis, even though like the vast majority of people that believe in intelligent design are Christians. Yeah. So I'm going to get into, so Stephen Meyer is the one that speaks to intelligent design. And so a little bit about Stephen Meyer is that he began his career working in earth science and did graduate work in the history and philosophy of science, earning a PhD in the field from Cambridge in 1991. Um, He taught at two different Christian colleges, and then he founded the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute. And so he believes in what is called intelligent design. And this theory aims to counteract the claim that human beings and nature are the result of blind processes um, without purpose, but instead that the result of an intelligent designer. So I'm going to be going away from the book and pulling out an essay that I wrote in 2011 on intelligent design what oh no wait well i i took a so i minored in philosophy yes and i took many philosophy of religion courses which were whoa i did multiple philosophy of religion courses and this and this was throughout the period of me going from like someone that would would say they believe in theistic evolution to believing in deism so that god kind of like started things and then stepped away to being a full-out atheist. Is this when we lived together? Yeah. Okay, so we lived together when we were in our early 20s, 2011 or whatever. And, uh, okay, yeah, this makes sense because when we lived together was when you were really going through your deconstruction journey. And I think by the time we stopped living together, you were an atheist. Yeah. And when we started living together, I think you were just still in between. Yeah. So, okay, so you would have written this. 2011. And I just want to say I had nothing to do with any of this. I was doing my own thing. Uh, (laughs) I'm not the one who made you an atheist. No. But I certainly didn't make you a Christian. Well, my philosophy professor that taught all these religion courses actually was someone that didn't believe in evolution. He was an old earth creationist. But in his classes... It was so interesting because you had atheists, you had young earth creationists, you had people that believed in theistic evolution, and we just debated and we had the best conversations. And he was one of those people that was, he was so intelligent, but so open to talking about all points of view. And so even when I like, when I was no longer a Christian, like I went through that process in his class and because, because of him and the kind of space he created for people to be able to talk about these things, like there was no taboo. Wow. That sounds really, really interesting. And I have a lot of respect for him. He was a wonderful professor. (laughs) My bachelor's degree was wasted on me as a young person because I don't think I would have even understood these concepts. I just don't think that I could have wrapped my mind around it. But now I would be like in that debate. That is really cool. I didn't know that you did that. Yeah. I didn't I don't know a lot about you. I'm learning so many (laughs) things all the time, Sarah. So this was one of the most fun papers to write ever. I titled it Intelligent Design on Trial, Examining the Philosophical and Scientific Objections to Intelligent Design. Are you going to read the whole thing? I don't have to read the whole thing. Do you want to hear the first sentence that I was like super, the first paragraph I was so fucking proud of though? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear it. So, the biological zeitgeist of the modern era has been heavily saturated with positivist reliance on the scientific method. In the scientific community, Darwinian evolution is widely considered to be the best explanation for the origin of life. However... A minority of scientists disagree with evolution and objects that life is far too complex to have arisen solely through naturalistic processes. 
Conversely, these scientists argue that their theory of intelligent design provides a superior explanation for the origin and development of life on Earth. In this paper, I will address common philosophical and scientific objections to design and demonstrate that although intelligent design may be considered a philosophically tenable position, there is not enough scientific evidence in its favor to consider it a rival to the theory of evolution. Wow. And you wrote this in the class where the professor was a young Earth creationist? No, no. Old Earth creationist. Oh, nice. Yeah. You better have gotten an A+. Plus. <laughs> I think I think I did well. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I say like the main, so the main objections that I will be examining will be philosophical in nature and there's a couple that are scientific in nature so the scientific objections were no one has found a complex system in nature that could not have evolved and although organic systems appear to be designed the details reveal that life is the result of natural selection and not intelligent agency and then the philosophical objections to intelligent design are that design is kind of an argument from ignorance and a science stopper like it's just filling in the gaps with God, the gaps that we don't know, the answers we don't have, we're just saying, oh, it's God yes. that did that. It had to this, be God, right? It, that sentence that you just said is probably exactly what I've been trying to explain. <laughs> we're filling in the gaps with God. Like, why do we even have to fill in those gaps? Right, exactly. God. Why can't we be a little agnostic? Yeah, why? It's okay to not know. And then, like I say, the the analogy between machines and organic systems is flawed, which is like Hume's objection this gets pretty philosophy. I am like, my brain is so tired right now because I, first of all, <laughs> haven't thought about science in a long time. I just like, oh my gosh, sorry. Okay, go on. Um, and then uh, who designed the designer? I kind of mentioned the problem of infinite regression already that like, yeah. if they're, you're like every, it needs a designer. Well, then the designer is intelligent and who designed the designer and no, 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 no. And then it goes on and on and then it's designers all the way down. Yes. <laughs> right. And then intelligent design is creationism in disguise. That's an objection. So, I mean, when you go through, so one of the big things with intelligent design is they're like, there are things that are irreducibly complex. So they're composed of so many parts that, that they cannot function if one of their parts is missing and there's no way that they could have evolved. Like things are too complex to have evolved. And so one of the... That's what their argument is? Yeah. So one of their examples they used was like, they used the example of the eye. So yeah, the human eye is often used as an example of a complex system that that couldn't be broken down and that the theory of evolution fails to explain. And oftentimes people will quote Charles Darwin. So Charles Darwin said in The Origin of the Species, he said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely breakdown. So of course, if they could find something that was irreducibly complex, then that would be like the Ark of the Covenant. That would be the catalyst that would like break all of evolution. And so they always will quote Charles Darwin. And so the eye is often used as an example of something that's found in nature that is irreducibly complex. But you know, how might the eye have evolved? Over time, they have figured out a model of how the human eye evolved and there were organisms that existed over 600 million years ago that had a cluster of light sensing cells and this cluster of cells was called the eye spot and then eventually you know eventually the eye spots grew and there are some flatworms that have really really basic eyes called eye cups so eventually you can see it's not irreducibly complex but yeah i mean it's complex but it's not so complex that we're like okay god did it and you get into a god of the gaps argument right where it's like because yeah. we don't have the answer right now then we're gonna we're gonna put god in there and then god just gets smaller and smaller and smaller oh my god this is i think that's so far has been like my biggest takeaway from all of this is that people cannot help but fill in the gaps with god fill in the gaps fill in the gaps with god that god-shaped hole and there, there was another one that they used a lot. Like there was one that was famous that was cited as irreducibly complex, and that was the bacterial flagellum. So the bacterial flagellum, it, it's a low motor tail on the backs of some types of bacteria that allows for quick movement of the organism. It requires up to 30 protein components to be in place for the flagellum to fl function. So they said it's irreducibly complex. It's just too much. I, they're like, I can't, I can't handle it. It's too many, too many proteins. But then comes the discovery of the type three secretory apparatus, which is a needle-like apparatus used by some bacteria to inject poison into other organisms. 
And this posed difficulty for the irreducibly complex argument because this uh, apparatus, this TTSS3 apparatus, has many proteins in common with the bacterial flagellum, but it lacks about 10 to 15 of the same proteins. But it's it still functions as its own separate thing. And so that, you know, it's kind of like when they're like, oh, there's no missing link. And then now there are thousands of fossils of different hominids. This is going to sound so dumb, but there's an episode of Futurama <laughs> where... <laughs> I've seen that show too many times, but there is an episode where there is a a professor that is an ape and he believes in creationism. So there's that. And he is trying to explain to the professor who is like the main character in Futurama that there's all these missing links between all the different hominids, like evolutionary wise, like there's like hundreds of them. And it's like, okay, this one evolved to this one, to this one, to this one, to this one. Eventually we get homo sapiens. And, and then the professor just keeps being like, no, we have this missing link. Nope. We have this missing link. And, and and it goes on and on until there's one missing link that we don't have and the guy is like well that means that creation is real there's hundreds of pieces of evidence that say that evolution is real but there's one missing so that means that god's real again it's god of the gaps it's getting smaller i'm keeping that in the podcast by the way that was a oh yeah yeah That's for the dummies. That no, that's a show that I used to watch when I was really, really stoned. I remember that <laughs> that ape guy. Um, I was gonna say it's like the Futurama and the Magic School Bus. That's how I learned everything I need to know. <laughs> and so another one of the points of intelligent design is that organic systems like appear to be designed because we are intelligent. And how could intelligence be created by something that was not intelligent? So they're talking about like just the existence of consciousness right now. Yeah, the existence and just the existence of complex structures. And then obviously they'll say like, well, there's no theory to date that describes a biogenesis. So how the first cell came to be, the evolution of the first cell. And again, making an inference to intelligent agency or intelligent design is just like a God of the gaps argument because we don't have that information yet, but it doesn't mean that we won't find it. It's a Futurama episode all over again yeah yeah i mean just because we don't understand it now to be honest like humans we think that we're so wise and intelligent but think about where humans were a hundred years ago compared to now and how much more intelligent we are imagine what we're going to be like in 100 200 300 years if we survive okay if we we survive survive. yeah if we survive humans our intelligence is evolving at a very rapid rate things change really rapidly it's mind-blowing and I can under totally from an intellectual perspective, I can understand the theory of intelligent design because, yeah, mm-hmm. how the fuck do you make sense of consciousness? Yes. How do you make sense of being a human on a tiny little planet that's in a tiny solar system in a tiny galaxy? Like it's pff, our brains cannot comprehend. Right. But I think at the end of the day, though, what we can agree upon with everyone but Can Ham is the literal reality of science. And so me and Deborah, me and all the other PhD folks could have a conversation because we're living on the same planet Earth. Do you remember the banana man? (laughs) What? (laughs) Do you remember the banana man? The banana man. Yes or no? I have no idea what you're talking about now. You you have no idea what I'm talking about? Is this a knock-knock joke? Oh, my God. So banana man. your life is going to be changed by... So you know Kirk Cameron, right? Sure. Candace Cameron's brother. He was involved in the Left Behind series, like the, the movies about the end times. I have no... I'm sorry. I, Left Behind. I, oh, oh, God. That could be a whole other episode. I'm sorry. I just feel like... I feel like they're, I... They're movies. Four movies about the end times. So he's an actor. Yeah. I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah. So he's an actor and he's on this video with this person named Ray Comfort. And this video is about the like the best thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, okay. so I'm going to show this video to you. Am I going to have to watch Left Behind now? Yeah. Oh, my God. We should totally do one on Left Behind. So you ready? Okay. Ready for Ray Comfort and uh, Kirk Cameron? Okay. Behold the atheist's nightmare. Now, if you study a well-made banana, you'll find on the far side, there are three ridges. On the close side, two ridges. If you get your hand ready to grip a banana, you'll find on the far side, there are three grooves. On the close side, two grooves. The banana and the hand are perfectly made one for the other. You'll find the maker of the banana, Almighty God, has made it with a non-slip surface. It has outward indicators of inward contents. Green, too early. Yellow, just right. Black, too late. 
Now, if you go to the top of the banana, you'll find, as with the soda can makers, they placed a tab at the top, so God has placed a tab at the top. When you pull the tab, the contents don't squirt in your face. You'll find the wrapper, which is biodegradable, has perforations. Notice how gracefully it sits over the human hand. Notice it has a point at the top for ease of entry. It's just the right shape for the human mouth. It's chewy, easy to digest, and it's even curved toward the face to make the whole process so much easier. Seriously, Kurt, the whole of creation testifies to the genius of God's creative oh. hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> minus the sexual innuendo, the banana actually was through human agriculture. It became that way. Like the the original banana plants were not easy to open. Yeah, and curved towards the mouth. <laughs> I was going to say, does he not know about like like genetic mutation? GMOs, man. GMOs. <laughs> So when this video came out, like the internet had a fucking heyday because he's just like, it fits perfectly in the human hand and in the mouth. And <laughs> it doesn't squirt in your face. <laughs> oh my God, I can't imagine how much fun the internet would have been that day. What year was that? That looks like it was done in like the 80s. I need to see when this happened. Ray Comfort Banana. Okay, like I'm sorry. If you're a Christian and this is your explanation as to why God is real, we can't have a conversation. <laughs> You're not, this is not a good argument. Ray Comfort, uh, he, one of his films premiered at a Young Earth Creationist organization at the Ark Encounter. So him and Ken Ham are buds. So sick. I wish we could, we could have been there. So I'm trying to figure out when the, when the Banana Man thing happened. Oh, it was 2006. There's a book. He actually has a book called Banana Man. The true story of how a demeaning nickname opened amazing books for the gospel oh do we need to do a whole episode on that book i think i think we have a new episode idea (laughs) so i thought that video was just was just fun before we wrap up did you want to know sean mcdowell's view of course i do i we haven't talked about sean mcdowell for a fucking minute i think that there's people that are listening to our podcast that don't even know who sean mcdowell is because we haven't talked about him in so many episodes he is he's a christian a christian apologist but he doesn't really ever share his personal weird vendettas against atheists. <laughs> you don't always know his view. I think he, he likes to talk about different views, though. Yeah. And again, that's why I, I'm i a fan of Sean McDowell. Never thought I'd say those words, but... I feel like maybe he's just trying to generate clicks, though. But I do like him. I don't hate him. That's a better way to put it. I don't dislike him. Okay. You ready? Yes. Can a Christian believe in Darwinism? That is what the video is called, so I'll share. Can a Christian believe in evolution. Although this might surprise some of you, I think the answer is obviously yes. For one, I have many friends who are Christians who believe in evolution. I have no reason to question their sincerity or their relationship with God. Second, as long as you believe God is the creator, then the mechanism by which God created is secondary in terms of our salvation. So I find no reason to think that a Christian can't believe in evolution. But the more interesting question is, depending on what we mean by evolution, how do you consistently wed an evolutionary worldview with Christianity? This is where certain philosophical and theological questions come to the surface. So if we mean by evolution a blind material, undesigned, undirected process, then it's hard to see how God could use a purposeless material process. Because you'd be saying God directed an undirected process. God designed an undesigned process. So if we mean by evolution the materialistic Darwinian blind processes, then I'm not sure how you wed those two consistently philosophically. And also if you mean that definition of evolution, then it raises some tough theological questions. Is there really a historical Adam? Was there a historical fall? And what do we mean by being made in the image of God? So look, I have no problem with somebody being a Christian in principle and believing in evolution. But it's where the devil's in the detail and the philosophical and theological questions that are important, how we consistently wed a blind material process with an intelligent process. That's where the questions and the problems really emerge. So he's kind of like neutral on it. Not denying that 
And I feel like we would come to the same conclusion that that having a view that evolution is how God created the world, I think that's a position that Christians can't hold. I mean, people can hold whatever position they want, but I think philosophically they can hold that position. People do. And I think it's good that people do because we want people to believe in science. And I think that if I was still if I were still a Christian, then I would have to look at these evolutionary points of view that we discussed today and really choose just choose one of them because I, I would have to like I couldn't I couldn't just be like a young earth creationist but I mean some people look at all of the evidence and because they come into it with the predisposition believing that the bible is infallible and the bible cannot be questioned like they come away with the young earth Ken Ham view of things and that's their belief to hold I'm glad that the proportion of people believing that is declining over time because I do think that it's problematic to live in the world when you don't have an accurate view of the world. I mean, it's a really slippery slope from believing what Ken Ham believes and then going to, okay, we need to teach this in schools. Okay. And then it's Christian nationalism. It happens fast. Yeah. I think that's the big problem with it. I don't really care. Like with Ken Ham, obviously he infuriates me, but I don't wish any ill upon him. But if he is arguing that a religious view needs to be taught in science class. I get philosophy. I get world religions. Absolutely. Yeah. Teacher views. (laughs) And I kind of feel bad that some Christians that are scientists would have to like not really talk about their Christian views or be like worried that they would that their science would be taken less seriously. But if they're following the scientific method and they're doing sound science, then that must be a constant battle for them. And now that I think about it, you'd get a lot of judgment. You would. But I think people I think people should be able to have conversations. And I love that Zundervan organization does counterpoint like they have this counterpoint series where they look at different views within Christianity and I think I think that's great and the person that edited the book what the one that wrote the foreword like he is involved with BioLogos and he's like just so you know my views are I believe in evolution but I do think it's important for the unity of Christianity to really be able to discuss all these views and and wrestle with it is like obviously no Christian agrees on every single thing and no two people agree on every single thing so that is a wrap for evil we don't have a story time with sarah today because truly the whole thing was story was genesis one story time with sarah was genesis and we didn't go that far into the bible today because we were looking at you know what different christians believe in their views and ken ham was the one that cited most of the bible so if you want to know more about what he thinks then instead of story time with sarah you can go to answersingenesis.com But I suggest you check out biologos.com because, as I've said many, many times, Deborah and Francis, cool, cool people, and I respect them a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for for joining us. Thank you. We love you. Love you. Bye, everybody. Bye. I would find him and I would punch him. Don't punch him. But yeah, if you are, don't punch Ken Ham.